I became quickly aware that our water infrastructure is very sick. It's in deep trouble. And it's being underlined by these little canary and coal mine events like Flint, Michigan, and so forth. But there's much more happening that is just not being talked about. For example, you can go to a tap water database called ewg.org slash tapwater, environmental working group, and look up your zip code and it will tell you, oh, your zip code is fully compliant with federal regulations, but it's 2000% too much arsenic by current science. They updated the arsenic rules in, in California a few years ago and it threw the whole water industry there and they were tizzy like, oh Lord, what do we do? They're overloaded. 90% of the burden on municipal infrastructure is industry and agriculture and it's growing and it gets more toxic and it's going to get worse because you know what's coming next is deglobalization and all the manufacturing is coming back to America and we're not ready. And so it is deglobalization. And in fact, the whole deglobalization thing is being driven by global tensions. I'll be covering that. The Suez Canal, Panama Canal, more and more, we're going to turn back into islands, regional islands of commerce. And that means manufacturing come back, coming back to the U.S. with integrated water. And that is going to be the biggest trend of the next quarter century. And uh, Keith Rutten, H2O, 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 Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. That's very cute. I like that. That is good. That is good, my friend. All right. Let's go ahead and do the honors here. So today is Thursday, December 21st, and is briefing number 241. We will have a briefing next week because it's actually, you know, the 25th is Monday. So the 28th will be our last CEO briefing of the year, and we'll make it fun, I guarantee you. All right, so safe harbor statement and the usual disclaimer. All right, so the week's news. Let's take a look at what's going on here. And I'm starting from Thursday, like uh, Friday of last week, right? And going forward in time. And so here we go. Well, there was an announcement of conservation plans to basically bring the water levels back onto Lake Mead and Lake Powell. One small problem is that basically it was kind of like a game of whack-a-mole that the, like, okay, we're not going to be putting water in the, in the, in the, aquifer, the groundwater anymore, we're going to put in the lake. Okay, fine. Um, so it actually diverts water that's being used for equally important pur purposes. However, they are trying hard. And whether you believe there's a hotter and drier future or not, for sure, we are over pumping everything. Okay. Let's take a look at how fun this is. History may not be repeat, but it rhymes. This was, okay, so it's on the 14th on Thursday. And you, you can see here, this is the annual change in the inflation rate. So the solid blue line is 2020 to the present. And the dotted red line is 1972 to 83. And it tracks very spooky, very spooky. And so... And sure enough, I think that that was with what's been going back and forth. First, of course, Powell said we're going to do rate cuts, and then they said, "Oh no, we're not." And but they're going to do rate cuts. They have to for the for the election. There'll be, I think, they've priced in three rate cuts between now and the election. So that's what's going to happen. We are going to get an inflationary spiral. That's just how it's going. 
Okay. Meanwhile, electricity bills are now the highest in California and Maine, up 51% since 2019. Lord, that's ridiculous. Think about, let's say you, you're paying $100, $100. Nobody pays $100 for electricity, but let's say you're paying $100. Now you're paying more than $150 in California. So that's pretty ridiculous, but it's also been happening with water and sewage rates, and that's driving independence in energy and in water. Oh, how fun this is. Chapter 11 bankruptcy filings have skyrocketed since the Fed started raising rates. Of course they, they have, right? And actually, the current president represented his Delaware credit card companies very well with the 2005 law that basically limited how much bank you could escape credit card debt and bankruptcy. So it's this is a tough way to go. Bankruptcies were... You can do chap- what is basically the law says. These are commercial bankruptcy filings, but on the personal side, it's very hard to do Chapter 7, which is just giving up. Chapter 11 is more allowed. Anyway, this is a very problematic situation. And here is the buying power of a dollar of a time, which you are well aware of, that we are now running at around 18 cents versus 90.74. And that, 1974, is when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And so we need to think about each year what's happening to our dollar. So if you'd gone, well, you know, I've increased the value of my money by 5x since 1974. Well, you did not keep, you just kept up with inflation. Okay, now cyber attacks. They're looking, figuring, trying to figure out ways to secure water systems after cyber attacks. Well, the best way to do it is to decentralized. Why? There's 150,000 individual water systems. Some of the 93% of them are serving fewer than 3,000 people. Incredibly hard to control. Um, and so best way to do this thing is, is to put the water treatment inside businesses. And that way, you know, you, you don't have problems with big spills of sewage or whatever. So that is that story. At least I know they're, they're worried about it. Okay, now, we were talking last week about the Panama Canal drought, now attacks in the Red Sea. What does that mean? Well, this interesting chart shows us that it takes, if you go from Shanghai to New York uh, via Suez, it's going to take you five days longer. But if you go via the Cape of Good Hope, which means you don't use either one, it's 10.5 days, which is massive. And it will have enormous effects on the cost because it basically reduces your ability, the usefulness of a ship by, I don't know, 25, 30%. And that's huge. That means very similar price rises. Again, this will drive deglobalization. Oh, and the fear and greed index is at extreme greed, which means overbought, which means when you are at extreme greed, then it means that everybody's piling in. And that is exactly when thing flips over into oversold. This is December 18th, and the S&P 500 was pushing toward a record high. And what happened then? Well, we know what happened then. Meanwhile, well, when I, I'll get to that story. But basically, this story in Wall Street Silver, basically, FX Hedge wrote a very good article, which basically says that, uh, you know, three cut rate, rate cuts in, in 2024, and they will print money big time. It's just going to go down. 
And interestingly enough, the this all this starts really way back with Volker, who who did eight years of austerity, and finally Reagan was just like enough already, enough. And he got he uh, Volker was replaced by Greenspan, and we went to you know very low interest rates, and then we went on from there. The uh, first bailout, the housing bubble, which of course we got the Great Recession, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. We definitely got money printing coming for sure. Grant Cardone spoke up. He thinks we're entering the greatest real estate correction in his lifetime. And the you know the issue is that it's not. We know the commercial was in trouble because of COVID, and people you know a lot of people working from home. So occupancy in place like New York going down to about fifty percent currently. Here, this is also residential. You know, because of course, rising costs of mortgages, but also cost of a house is going out of sight and basically a big squeeze. Okay, this is what happened on the 20th $600 billion of market cap. So remember that back on the 19th, they said it's the highest ever, et cetera. Literally, right after that, at around 1 30 p.m. Eastern, big crash and lost huge gains, basically all the gains that had been won since the Fed chairman had said that we were going to loosen things up. All right, let's take a look then at the chart. Correct. So basically, you know, the Fed chair giveth and the Fed chair giveth take away. But what, what, what happened here? How did the S&P 500 raise $500 billion, $600 billion worth of market cap? There's a story behind that. But I'll get to that. Meanwhile, let's take a look at Bitcoin ETFs, which you're going to hear about Bitcoin ETFs all over the place. Um, and it's basically, they are going to, you know, when you got BlackRock doing an ETF, you know, this is a big deal. And so there's a huge, huge move towards that. And, you know, right now, Bitcoin is about a half a trillion dollars in market cap. If it gets to 20 trillion, that is the size of the entire real estate market in America. And it could very easily. That's not, not out of reason that it would go 40x. So we're going to see that. And the ETFs are going to be the, the way it goes. You're probably smarter owning Bitcoin itself, but those of us who are stuck with 401ks and so forth, we we buy, we buy Bitcoin, we'll buy a Bitcoin ETF, right? I right now, for example, I invest my wife's 401k. And I'm invested in a something that mirrors Bitcoin, which is Riot, R-I-O-T, which is a Bitcoin mining company. And it moves with Bitcoin. But I'd much rather own Bitcoin itself, for sure. Okay, but here's the problem. On top of what's going to go on with this, Washington is apparently looking to ban self-custody of Bitcoin. This is interesting. So... Again, this is what I'm talking about is all these different commodities and, and assets classes are already being manipulated, already have a huge amount of money behind them, and that is the problem. But California to vote on allowing toilet to tab projects. So that they're they're doing it. And I personally think we they have to. They have to start recycling at the utility level. But that still doesn't get good recycling going, it's it's going to take forever. To build toilet to tap at the, at the utilities, it's going to take 
two decades. Whereas you could easily get with ideas like water on demand, industry and agriculture just recycle their own wastewater and do it much faster. Canada is in the middle of a drought, big time. The red is extreme drought. And then we have, um, basically it's either normally dry. I don't see any areas that are, that are doing great. Now S is short term, typically less than six months. L is long terms. So the, where it's L, you've got a problem. Now Canada gets a lot of rain and snow. So this is not a pretty picture. As a skier, I'm not happy about the dress. We are actually going to Montana. My wife has a small school. We do a annual ski trip and we'll be in Montana in January. And whitefish is still very brown. Actually, whitefish replied to this post and said, no, no, no. It's just brown in town. It's it's white on the mountain, but still it's it's very thin. Anyway, in Canada, that's of course just below Canada, same same climate. Basically, 72% of the country is classified as abnormally dry or in drought. So that's tough for Canada. Commodities, buy commodities, sell bonds. Why? Well, here is net overweight commodities versus minus net overweight bonds. This is an indication of things going well or poorly. The last time it was severely negative was last big recession. And now we're seeing it happen finally. It didn't really happen during COVID. In fact, we had a huge bounce back in COVID. But now we're looking at a serious drop. And this means that you should probably bail out of commodities and get into bonds. I'm going to go ahead and play this little piece with RJ Ahmed because it's a good one. Here we go. The reason why we're putting in place water demand is for the next generation, which is people who would like to have it for three reasons. Number one is so that they can control their water and sewage rates, which in America are inflating as fast as college tuition, which we know is inflating very fast. Secondly, they can recycle under their own control, which reduces their water costs. And thirdly, they're free of interference from the local government, because as long as they meet the requirements, they can just put the water into the ground and everybody's happy. But for those three reasons, people will be interested in doing it. And that's when they'll run into the cap. Need. And that's what we're building for is for the in any kind of market, it's an inverse pyramid. You start with the people with a real need, a tiny percentage. They're like, I need it now. I got to have it. This is it. That's, you know, 12, 14% of the market. The much bigger one is the people who have to have it or who want to have it, who think it's good. They have a strategic need for it. The final third, which is the most of all, is the people who just finally adopt it because everyone else is doing it. So, you know, the story and, you know, get off the grid and control your life, basically. All right, back to that SPY crash. So the uh, S&P 500 ETF trust, which is the oldest ETF uh, in, in, in Wall Street. You saw I had that graph earlier with the crash. Well, here it is. It just came crashing down. Now, it has recovered about half of its loss, right? But what, ha what happened? What caused this? Huge spike. Look at that huge spike at the very, very bottom it has a huge spike upwards in volume. And now, right at the very tail end of it, going into the 22nd, just before tomorrow, we have a big peak in volume. In other words, people are buying again, like big, big time. But it's not a pleasant picture. So what happened? Somebody bought a million at the market SPY 
put contracts. That's, these are contracts that bet that the stock, that the ETF price will go down just two hours before the market sold. And basically, basically zero days of trading are left. In other words, the option that was uh, purchased literally expired today. And so the whoever did this had a $15 million option, which inflated to $520 million, which equated to $47 billion. Ridiculous. So that was somebody came right in and just boom, you know, just just murder the market. If they can do it once, they'll do it again. So now some people might think of it as a buying opportunity, but it's also very dangerous. So zero DTE, zero days until expiration. That's what that means. So these are options that are right there. And this publisher says that they really should have triggers to prevent this on the last day of an option. All right, let's talk about acquisitions. And I interviewed this afternoon, Mr. Bill Charneski. Let's hear what he's got to say. Bill, Bill Charneski, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well, Riggs. Really well. Busy, busy, busy. Well, busy is good. Um, you've had many lives with first Origin Oil, then Origin Clear. And tell us a little bit about, for the people who don't know you well, um, what you've been for us over the years and then what your current mission is. Uh, started with Origin Oil, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. And we were involved in the uh, the algae growth and all of that then. And then over the years, I played many roles, anything from director of engineering to COO to managing the technologies. Uh, and most recently, was involved in mergers and acquisitions back a couple of years ago. In fact, we're very involved in the acquisition of progressive water and modular water. And then uh, periodically I've been doing projects with rigs. And then a few months ago with what's going on with the the merger, uh, decided it was time to uh, repurpose me and have me work on mergers and acquisitions. Again, so actually, I love that part. No, it's fantastic, and you you did a great job on progressive and on bringing us Dan early that we built modular water systems around. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to make it clear that yes, we have a, a definitive agreement for a merger, but our acquisitions plans do not, you know, depend on that exclusively. In other words, mm-hmm. we have multiple paths to get there. Uh, the the acquisitions are not in themselves dependent upon this eventual merger, um, you know, because you you have to have a plan A, a plan B, and plan C, but clearly acquisitions is where it's at. Um, And so tell me uh, for the audience, what are the stages of an acquisition? Well, first, obviously, you have to identify the best candidates. Who are the candidates that meet your objectives uh, in the acquisitions, and in this case, our major objective or one of the objectives is to uh, vertically integrate uh, modular water. And so we're looking for folks like uh, uh, plastic, heavy-duty plastic manufacturers, uh, control panel manufacturers, wastewater engineers, that kind of thing. That's kind of phase one, but simultaneously, we're looking for a 
software company that can help us with the water on demand uh, part of the business uh, because we, you know, we, we can grow the, the commercial sale of this equipment, but our real purpose is to uh, have a water on demand where inv individual investors can invest in the water as an asset. And uh, then we can create a mechanism for our end use customers to um, initiate or to buy equipment without a big capital cost so they can do it with a, a water on demand or a water flow basis. And so another, another really important part of the acquisition is to find a software company that can help us manage that because it's going to grow rapidly. Okay, so you've got, and we'll talk more about these targets, um, but now let's say you've got a short list of companies that you're, you're interested in. Where do you go from there typically? Well, from there, once we identify them, then we, you know, we've got to introduce them, start having some conversations with them, get them interested in the, the acquisition and being part of a group of companies that we're building. Uh, and once they're interested, we obviously have to do an NDA and then we have to begin that evaluation process where we get their historical financials, uh, get their projections for the future, look at their balance sheet, look at the company overall, and put together uh, a, a term sheet for a non-binding LOI. Mm -hmm. And that non-binding LOI we would then take to that particular company and present it to them. And if they were uh, if they were interested in pursuing that, then, you know, we have a non-binding LOI that we can move forward with. And when we're ready to close on that acquisition, we move on to a definitive agreement, the due diligence, and closing the acquisition. As I recall, the time between, in the case of PWT, um, the definitive agreement was, I think, sometime in July, and we finally closed in October, something like that. Yeah, a good part of that was the fact that, that PWT had been uh, a proprietary, a single proprietor, and so they did not have any uh, any audited statements, financials. And so mm -hmm. that whole process of, of seeing audited, audited financials uh, took several months. Uh, the, the other parts of the due diligence took place kind of simultaneously, but uh, the due diligence was a big part of it. And that's not untypical for companies that are in the, you know, four or five million dollar range. They typically aren't audited when they, you're dealing with companies that are 10 million plus, typically they're audited and it doesn't take as long that way. Yes. Um, well, obviously there's a lot of due diligence, hard work in between all that. And, you know, there's a mix of cash and stock. In the case of Progressive, it was all stock. Um, various ways to make it get it done um so what i thought i would do is um put up on screen this is from the uh, powerpoint that's actually on our website under presentations um and this is the section where we start talking about acquisitions where instead of the um in addition to the organic growth we want to have some buying to do the buy versus build and um as you were mentioning, number one, we have this agreement in principle to acquire a cloud software company that was already announced. Um, and they have an existing business. And right now they're evaluating how they could help us 
build this network management system on top of it. Number two, of course, as you said, vertical integration, uh, bringing in the manufacturing centers to support modular water systems. Um, and then also expert staffing uh, because both modular water and progressive desperately need, they're growing much faster than they can get personnel. And it's in a way easier to buy an engineering company than to hire 40 people kind of thing. So um, engineering companies, water service companies, and that is that is the third big um, leg. Um, so then I'm not going to go through these parameters too much, but these are basically the the assumptions made for um, these targets. Um, but this is really the, 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 the immediate phase we're looking at here. Um, now, phase one begins Q3 2024. Well, here we are, Q4 2023. We're two quarters away. Um, and really what we're saying is we want, we're using this time now to get things ready, to get to, to kind of get ahead of things so that, um, you know, presumably in Q3, we'd be able to start closing these. Um, this assumes a 25% cash. Um, and there's a very large contribution of revenue from this because, of course, uh, these companies need to be profitable. So um, I won't, there's many more slides on this, uh, and it's very interesting. But I think that that kind of gives the, the parameters that we would be able to more than 10x our revenues by going through an acquisition program. Now, again, I want to emphasize that there's no assurance that, that we will achieve this, but it's clear that we can and uh, that we have the ability to do it. We've done it before. We've gotten really good at raising, fundraising, um, et cetera. So capital is not a major barrier. And so it's a matter of execution. So um, tell me, and uh, just um, you told me in a memo yesterday, I think it was, or the day before, that you had 10 companies um, in your sites. Which which categories are these in? Well, the one that's furthest along is, is that we're meeting very shortly with uh, the first company and actually going over the term sheet. And we hope to walk, hope to get a non-binding LOI uh, from that uh, within a few days later. Uh, the other ones are in various stages. Uh, if I go to the other end of the spectrum, they are. There's a couple of companies that uh, that are similar but very complementary to modular water that we're looking at. In between, there's some other flat plastic fabricators that are in the process of providing uh, the financials and the projections so they can be evaluated. Uh, there's a couple, two companies that are software developer, software equipment companies that uh, will, I think, uh, help us in the uh, the water on demand management of the cash flow and so forth. Um, so there's uh, there, what I guess one of the things that's interesting is is that the people that I've talked to, and I've talked to out of that ten, I've probably talked to four of them. Uh, there's real interest in being acquired once they understand what our goals are. Mm. Uh, there's enthusiasm for that. They're they're anxious to get find out more information, and uh, I don't think we're going to have any difficulty finding good candidates that are accretive and that will be very complementary to the the plans that we have formulated. Right. And for the audience, accretive means that it adds to the revenue and profits of the existing company. So 
um, as opposed to, let's say, a pure technology purchase where it would not add to our revenues and profits. It would simply be an asset. But we strictly want to do a creative acquisitions um, because even while we're developing water on demand, we want our conventional businesses to continue to become bigger and more profitable. We've made pretty um, ambitious projections. So far, it looks like we're mm-hmm. 2023 looks pretty good. Um, but, um, you know, it's going to require a lot of assets to maintain the pace, which is really, really, um, these units are growing fast. So, um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm so excited about this. This is a lot of, it's a lot of work, but I, I consider it a lot of fun. And um, I enjoy it, actually. It's fun meeting people and seeing how people make money. Amen to that. And I think we'll be, uh, you and I will be doing some touring in the new year. So, uh, there'll be more to come. And Bill, I just really want to thank you. It's a pleasure having you working on this project again. And um, let's uh, let's kill it, okay? All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Happy holidays. All right. Before we were doing the like these 20-minute excerpts from a podcast, and what we decided to do is instead do just short clips, and then I'll be commenting briefly on each one afterwards. And that, I think, will be more... Um, focused. I can comment on specific points that have been selected. So let's get on with it. This is called How to Ride a Roller Coaster. And um, it's a very, very good podcast, as you will see. Okay. Here's the first one. So we went, oops, there's going to be a problem. So people are going to be capital starved. In the Carolinas, you've got all those poultry farms that are just dumping nitrates in the river. In Florida, you've got a lot of sewage outflows, for example, that are creating a toxic algae in Lake Okeechobee and places mm-hmm. like that. There's a lot of problems. And also, think about this. We have antiquated sewer lines. So they break and they start to leak into the groundwater, the aquifer. And now it pollutes that, right? Nobody can dig a well and drink the water out of that well. You have to sanitize it and filter it. It's not clean. What does that say? It's like pretty horrendous. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about the water on demand. Is that individualized or how does that kind of work? We're targeting industry and agriculture because that's Mm -hmm. the 90% users. And there's two challenges. The first one is technology. You got to take that big utility scale stuff down to the corner of a brewery, which is going to be 150 square feet. And we have that. We created a company in 2018 called Modular Water Systems, and it as the word says, basically, these are water systems in a box. They're highly standardized, assembly line. Okay, you want one, boom, we'll get you one quickly. And that has proven to be extremely successful and it's growing. We were growing all this up until COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, I was like, uh-oh, big reset. Yeah. We didn't know in February of 2020 that there would be a bailout, right? The CARES Act, all that stuff. So sure. we went, oops, there's going to be a problem. So people are going to be capital starved. And that's when we came up with the other part of it, which is you want a water system and your brewery, you don't have a million dollars for a water system. You make beer, right? So just sign here. We'll deliver a machine. It remains ours. And we bill you on the meter just like you're accustomed to. Interesting. And they go, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, that brings us to the third part, which is how are these machines funded? Well, we made it possible for a, a regular everyday investors to come in and invest in these uh, bundles of water systems, much like a an oil well partnership. You know, these master limited partnerships that are a big, big success. Yeah. We're doing it for water. So we like to say water like an oil well. 
Okay, so that you know is is the fundamental concept of water on demand, which is water like an oil well, and it's the way. Basically, it's the way to pull the circuit breaker on the problems people have with centralized water, and go ahead and get your own system and not have to pay it up front, and basically replace the central utility, which has all these problems, with a utility which is water on demand. That continues to let the business operate on the meter as it's accustomed to, and that is the revolution we're talking about. Especially since regular investors can get involved, and this is obviously unique, as you know. All right, let's go on to the next one. How can you get in early with something that you know ninety nine percent of people just don't know? You don't know about those early rounds with Airbnb or Uber or any of those types of companies. We know that. Investors like you and me, you know, we're, we're people who, have, who do pretty well. And we have a little bit of cash, and like, well, what do I do with it? Yeah. Um, oh, you got to put it in, you know, um, an S and P five hundred. Like, well, <laughs> I, I don't believe that stuff anymore. Index funds burned. until you finish. Yeah. So a lot of people are going. Well, how do I get an edge? And we know that that getting in early on something is good. But you know, if you look at the Airbnb rounds, you can look it up on the internet. It was all insiders, 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 insiders until the IPO. Yeah. And so, how do you become an insider? So we crafted. It's like you know what, the water industry is becoming, it's exploding, it's breaking out of the monopoly. Let's open it up to regular people. So we have this saying: water is the people's asset, Love both that. for consumption but also for investment. Uh, there's somebody made a prediction that the first trillionaire is going to be in water. We said, no, no, no. We want a million millionaires, not one trillionaire. Right. Let's democratize this thing. Let's have some fun. You know, uh, the, and for some reason, the elite has not really caught on. Uh, it's just beginning. There was a unicorn in May that had all the kind of wonderful, you know, fun support and so forth. But it didn't explode yet the way AI did. Right. I mean, right. It's we have the time to do it and do it right, and to have an innovative model that is going to Resonate, and then we can start cloning it beyond America. I think a lot of times people that are in that position, like ourselves, where how do you become somebody that can get in from the ground floor? How can you how can you get in early with something that you know ninety nine percent of people just don't know? You don't know about those early rounds with Airbnb or Uber or any of those types of companies. Those happen almost right. in a silo, in a vacuum, away from from our vision. So this is amazing, and I think that there's so much opportunity for it because I mean, I keep going back to that 20% number. The need is so large. So the opportunity is so great. So, I mean, I, like I said, I, I love what you guys are doing. Where all this started was I became furious over time at, and you may too, at all of the big guys grabbing hold of assets, be it Bill Gates of all the farmland, et cetera. And of course they have the money so they can do it. There's there's all kinds of uh, asset grabs going on, and we the people don't have access to that. It is a crime. It is a scandal. And so, what we felt very strongly, Ken and I and the rest of the team, is that we need to make something available to the everyday investor, which is what we specialized in as a company, and do it early so they get the kind of returns that Ashton Kutcher got. When he did Airbnb, it was something like 140,000%. It was a lot. God bless Ashton Kutcher. Good for him. But how come we didn't have access? And that's 
what we are fixing with water on demand. We think that's the way to go. The county is going, okay, let's spend billions and connect sewage to every single one of these things. Well, number one, it's supposed to be six billion. It'll be 10, 12 by the time they're done. Secondly, it'll tear up streets for 20 years. Take a look at India where there's a real problem. India is a wonderful subcontinent. It's coming up in the world, but their water infrastructure sucks. Yeah. They just basically don't have it. They got people in the sewers who are dying from the sewer gases. They're literally shoveling this stuff. You know, what do they do? Well, they're not going to, who's going to come up with $500 billion or whatever? That's a huge, huge country. Yeah. Well, why not just have decentralized from day one where it's self-reliant pods, both uh, in industry, in, in farms, in housing developments, eventually individual homes? It makes a whole lot more sense. And then, and then you have a small municipality for, to supply the fresh water. Hmm. Treated water gets recycled, and then they can dump it into the ground, into the aquifer to recharge it, and everybody's happy. So that's a it's a model that we need to learn from. Let's take a look back home here at Miami Dade County. It was built without any urban planning back in the day, and so there's about a, over a hundred thousand septic tanks in the county, and they fail, they leak, they they literally because the the water level is rising, or maybe the ground's subsiding. I don't know right. which, but. <laughs> Whatever, uh, it's literally these these um, septic systems are coming in contact with the aquifer, and it's a real problem. It's mm. a real, I mean, it, it, the sanitary issue. So the city's going, the county is going. Okay, let's spend billions and connect sewage to every single one of these things. Well, number one, it's supposed to be six billion. It'll be ten, twelve sure. by the time they're done. Secondly, it'll tear up streets for twenty years. Why not just give a rebate to those septic owners? to put in one of those close, those um, self-reliant systems that are mature by now. You know, the, the, the poop goes into a sludge tank that gets emptied out once a year by a truck, and that's it. It's done. But here's the problem. Miami-Dade County is not thinking that way. They like sewage. They yeah. like pipes. They like to raise a lot of money and have the big plant. But that doesn't solve the problem. Right. So here's our approach. We're not talking to Miami-Dade County. We don't talk to late adopters. I learned that in high tech. You talk to the early adopters. You talk to the people who really, really need it. They're being fined, or as we see in North Texas, that they're building a housing development that's 20 miles from the local sewage plant, so that's impossible. So they need a self-contained thing. So they know they need it. You don't have to market it to them. They know, I, I gotta have this thing. It's a flying J in the middle of the country on a freeway. Yeah. No connection to anything. It needs its own sewage connection. RV campgrounds, mobile home parks, all that stuff. So what would the first generation for us is the users that are forced to be self-reliant. This is really talking about how, again, we got very, very frustrated with the state of the water industry, which is highly centralized, very big players, lots of governmental involvement, and nothing much changing. Reminds me a lot of AT&T back in the day, which it wasn't going to change a thing. In fact, um, there was literally the, the first person who tried to break that trust got heavily sued by AT&T. So the, we kind of have a water trust in place and it's not serving the people. It's not serving businesses either. And it's not handling the droughts well. So the solution then is what we outlined here, which is portability, deployability, and do it yourself and you have water independence. And that's our vision.
Okay, I am going to invite my friends, Ken and AJ, for the freewheeling discussion. You know how much we love to freewheel. So there was an interesting debate. Scott Norris brought up the fact that Biden, that the actual bill, the I forget what it's called, but it was basically the debt reorganization bill of some kind. Right. It's, introduced by a Republican. Yeah, Grassley. Right. But yeah. Senator Biden at the time, you know, he represented Delaware where all the credit card companies are based. And his support was crucial to getting the bill passed. It would not have happened, in my opinion, without him. So, so cr- credit card debt just, I think it just surpassed $1.6 trillion. We talk about how we're a consumer-based economy. Our economy runs on the fact that people buy stuff. When you hit most of these, I would say a good 80% of middle America, middle class. I'm not talking the poor. I'm talking the people that, you know, two working parents and the kids and the dog. Those folks are buying groceries and things like that right now with credit cards. Okay. Christmas will be fueled by credit cards. But here's what happens. When now that credit cards are at 30 percent. Okay. Russian mobsters are blushing at this. Okay. When they hit their credit limit and they can no longer buy, this is Toto pulling on the pant leg of, of the wizard behind the curtain, right? This is just starting to, to just starting. And, and another thing you mentioned about that S&P. So one guy came in with a massive short, a big put buy, and was it a, was this a triple witching? Was this a triple witching month? That's a good question. I don't know. It was just a zero date expiration. Is all I know about that. Because I yeah, I've I've sworn off options like you know you know like 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 a guy in recovery, right? So I don't I don't follow it anymore. But the, the point is is that he was able to control forty eight billion dollars worth of worth of securities with a fifteen million dollar purchase, but he made five hundred million dollars. The simple fact of the matter is that the market is still vulnerable to, it's not illegal, it's, but he exploited a clear weakness in the system. Well, it was a buying opportunity and a lot of people- Yes, yes, there is, until it's not. Uh, triple witching real fast, that's when the expiration of stock options, index futures, and index options all fall on the same day. And sure enough, the yep. last triple witching was December 15th. Five, six days, seven days ago. Last, right. So last Friday was the last triple witching. And on the 20th, we had this big crash. Right. And that's not, and I'm sure that's not a coincidence. So the point I'm making is a single individual with a little, I mean, look, $15 million is a lot of money, mm-hmm. but not for Wall Street. I mean, that's, you know, it's a rounding error for for a guy like White Buffett, right? And but supposedly so, Buffett went all cash. Did you see that? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So here, so like, right, right, right. When the market scares Buffett, because I think he knows what he's doing, when the market scares Buffett, be afraid, be very afraid. And I'm not trying to preach fear here. I'm trying to preach prudence. Um, your interviewer, the gentleman with the goatee, you know, he, he, he pointedly mentioned, you're right, we can't just sit here and play these index funds, okay? Because that's a rigged game. Right. In other words, all of the institutions go in, they puff these things up. Brokers recommend the index funds. Some analyst writes a report and says they're pulling their money out. And then you and I get left holding the bag. It's what happens with retail investors. Providing investors an opportunity to be like the big guys were. Look, I talk about in my presentation when the break, we're breaking up the water monopoly. 
It's spooky and exciting as hell all in one grand thing. But this is there's precedent for this. When when the when the when the telecom monopoly began to break with the sell of mob, you know, breakup of mob bell and the baby bells. So monopolies don't don't have innovators, right? People don't innovate in monopolies. They just plot along like the Borg, you know, absorbing things, right? But when it broke up, all of these innovative people, innovative people entered the market because they were taking very small companies now. And if you look at the net size of all of the companies in the space now, right, it's vastly larger than Ma Bell was at its biggest. It's, it's probably an order of magnitude larger. More wealth was created through these innovations and it gave birth to the modern cell phone industry. I believe we're doing something where we are at the, at the dawn of a whole new technological industry with relation to water by defying it, by decentralizing it. But it, even with water, I mean, even with uh, telecom, you didn't need to be an insider. You didn't need to be a genius. You didn't need to go, well, you know, I heard that uh, they're gonna break up AT&T and the MC, you know, you didn't have to read the tea leaves on the MCI lawsuit. All you had to do was buy three retail stocks, SBAC, CCI, and, um, um, I can't remember the third symbol. Anyway, just a hundred thousand dollar player, which in like two thousand two was about what it is today, a little bit, a little, a little bit less, and you turn that into tens of millions of dollars, right? That was as a retail investor, but it was literally being a retail investor, not chasing the crowd. It was being a contrarian coming yes. in at the breakup. That is exactly right. I'm watching Stephen Davis say a couple of things. First of all. He is debunking the idea that it had to do with the witching, triple witching. It was a zero data expiration trade yesterday. It had nothing to do with options expiration on Friday last week because daily S&P options expire every single day. The S&P recovered a little over 50% of yesterday's losses today, which is what I pointed out on that graph. And I believe based on the volume that we had at the end of day today, that it's going to retrace completely. So no question about that. However, he also says what investors in water on demand are looking for is regular dependable income like dividends, not like speculating in daily S&P options, which is subject to market manipulation. Precisely. We are not about the market manipulation here. However, what we are doing in addition to the dividends is, and as Ken is pointing out, is if you can get an early position in a cell phone tower uh, stock or an early baby bell stock or in a or an Apple 1984 and hold it, then you will see outsized returns over time because you're starting so small. Well, you're not you're not trying to time the top of the wave. Yeah. It's, it, you know, it's like it's like surfing. You got to catch the wave that's going to crest at just the right time. If you've ever surfed, you know, one out of ten waves you actually catch. Okay. Well, yeah. if that's your money. That's not a place. That's not a good place to be. So yeah. while it, it, it requires some patience and it does require a little bit of foresight, simply targeting industries where the need is 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 global like this, and it is a very it's a very Warren Buffett like mindset. He says buy things that you use every day. That was what he said, you know, many 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 years ago. Well, I think water falls into that category. Well, the thing that you got to understand too, and and this is the the interesting thing is. There's a lot of people like me who are newer investors, right? And mm -hmm. I've never had had a lot of faith in the markets, uh, right. mainly because it's they're just so volatile, right? Like when when the rule is buy on rumor, sell on fact, 
that makes me uncomfortable as a person that is risk averse. So having having something stable, Stephen, like you point out, stable and dependable that we can that we can invest in as an alternative that I know is going to only continue to do better or at least maintain itself over time is ultimately what I think a lot of people want. And especially our kind of people that that kind of have a natural tendency where you look at that and you go, even if the market does recover, and this is the fun part, right? Even if the market recovers, the fact that it did that gave gave tons of people gray hair yesterday, right? Or no hair. No, the little guys were on margin. They're out. They're done. They're you know, what's my point is, right. is that there's it's the, people look at that and they go, ah, like like if they're recovering today, and they're like, thank God it recovered. Right. But it's like if you're if you're in that in that moment, terrified that you just see the market just going, even if you know it goes back up over time, even if you can see the trends, it's still heart like it's it's heart wrenching. So, again, right. the stability, the the ability to have some faith in something that is a bit more concrete. And when we're talking about, like you said, things that you use every day, fairly certain water just kind of, kind of falls into that category. It's the same, right. Well, that's my that's my my sarcasm. The other thing I would say is this, you have a choice. You can enter before the billionaires do or after. At what point do you think you have a better chance of doing well? Precisely. I remember in 1984, people were, were mortgaging their homes to buy Apple stock and the, right. the little people did fine. All right. We are at the top of the hour. Scott Norris says, have a very Merry Christmas, guys. Thank Merry you. Christmas, guys. To you. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy your Christmas with your family. We'll be on deck next week. A lot of us, for sure, we are doing another briefing. And maybe we'll do retrospective. That might be a good way to do it. A year in review. Year in review. Yes. Time Magazine, year in review. Anyway. And um, we don't keep the bloopers. No, erase, erase. I know. Those are, those are gone. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very, very much. And I just want to, of course, point out that we have, Ken is available to discuss this wonderful people's investment that we've got right here, oc.gold slash Ken, you know the number. And it, and also please fill out your Zoom survey. We do read these to understand how we're doing, what to do next. So don't hesitate. We really it's appreciate also it. Also your easiest way to get a hold of Ken by far. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Stephen Davis. Unless you're in the next room and you're bringing coffee in. Yeah, <laughs> a great way. That's a great way to get my attention as well. It is a great way. Davis says, "Thank you." Well, yeah, good coffee. Thank you for a great CEO update. If you'd like me to talk more about speculation versus long-term investing, I'd be happy to have a chat. Might we might take you up on that, Stephen? That's very good. Very good idea. Because- and and you know what? You have to talk to Steve. Stephen's got this amazing radio voice. All right, even better. Thank you all. Have a good weekend. Merry Christmas to you, and I'll see you next Thursday, the twenty eighth. All right. Good see you, buddy.